Derry, you were up on the big screen a few weeks ago, cycling like thousands of miles to raise money. What happened? Uh, well, the reality is um, less than the intro, unfortunately. Uh, 100 miles, uh, not thousands. Um, but yes, I, uh, I work for a, a charity called Resurgo, um, works with young people trying to get them into work. And um, we're pretty good at it, actually. We've got some really good stats to back that up. And uh, I cycled 100 miles to try and raise a bit of money. And thanks to you guys, I've raised just under 600 pounds, uh, which is great. Um, thank you very much. Is, is that applauding me or applauding people? I don't know. Um, yeah, it was good fun. Turns out 100 miles is further than I thought. Um, I, got to, I got to mile 89, and I'd normally commute 11 miles. And I was like, wow, I've got to basically cycle home from here. And I've just done 89. Um, so, yeah, it was difficult. But, yes, thank you so much for supporting me. Also, let's, let's get into this. So, we are sp I'm speaking on um, another one, two, or potentially three um, of these difficult parables. And I'm going to focus on one, and then if we've got time, I might touch on a couple of the others. Um, and that kind of brings our series of difficult parables to a close. Praise Lord. <laughs> they are difficult. Um, I'm going to read out Matthew 25 once more, because this is where I'm going to spend a bit of time. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were, were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Um, I'm a wise one, right? Yeah? I'm a wise one. Is it? Sometimes I read this, I've, I kind of think, actually, am I the foolish one in this story? Yeah, but that's sometimes there's like a bit of fear, right? Actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm a wise one. I think I am. Does anybody else kind of sometimes read these things with a little bit of fear, being like, actually, what is, where do I stand in this? I hate that. That phrase, the door is shut, actually kind of makes me feel a little bit fearful. Am I? Surely? Who, who's the door shut to? It seems a bit harsh, the God that I know, or I've been told, told about. Um, and so kind of think about this element of fear. If you are fearful, there's normally three responses to that. Flight fight or freeze and um, 
obviously I don't get that scared very, options, uh, very often, so I don't have any examples of these. However, Katie, my wife, is not here today, so, oh, thank you, yeah, six years yesterday. Come on, yeah. Come on. Ten years together, six years married. Um, I was brilliant. I uh, got... <laughs> wait, let me finish. Um, I, I've worked this out, and we got married on the same day that we started going out on, so I've only got one date to remember. Uh, top tip for anybody out there. Um, but, uh, yeah, Katie's not here today. She's, um, unfortunately, she's actually a little bit unwell. Um, but I'm going to embarrass her with her story um, because she's not here. And um, that is this whole idea of flight. So w- I was at a wedding uh, last weekend. Uh, last weekend? Yes. And we stayed in this Airbnb. And some people are really giggling. Uh, it was the creepiest place I've ever been in my entire life. And we came back uh, one night and got taken. It was like an actual B&B. So the lady lived there and served us breakfast and whatever else. And we got taken up to the top floor where we were staying in these three bedrooms and uh, came up to one staircase. And as I turned the corner, I just noticed over here, roughly, um, there was a chair nailed to the wall as if it was levitating (laughs) and two empty Moses baskets. And I thought, what is this place? Went up to our room. It's all um, beams and whatever else. Looked out the window over the graveyard, naturally. <laughs> and I was like, where, who's booked this and why are we here? What is going on? And uh, anyway, I put my head down, went to sleep, and um, we were in two single beds. Uh, Katie was the other side of the room, and uh, she got into her bed. And bear in mind, it's an old Georgian house, very cold, and the bed was already warm. The bed was already warm. And Katie was like, right, that's it. I'm sleeping in the car, I'm fleeing, I'm gone, this is not the place for me. Um, then she noticed a little red light and someone had left the electric blanket on, and that was the reason for that. <laughs> Nothing untowards. But the point here is that actually when we are in fear, we maybe don't think quite right, we don't think quite straight. Actually a night in the car would have been pretty awful when the reality was actually the electric blanket was on and she's going to have a cosy night's sleep. And sometimes when I come to difficult parts of the Bible, I exhibit those types of fear. Maybe I flight, kind of skip past it, fly past that part in the Bible. Or maybe I fight and get angry with God, push him away and be like, this cannot be the way that it is. And I get my defenses up. Or sometimes I freeze and I worry that I'm the foolish one. And I'm not entirely sure how to get past that. And I'm confident that I'm not the only one uh, who actually reacts like that when it comes to the unpalatable parts of the Bible. But then I have this understanding that my God is love. That Jesus personified that and has a desire to reconcile everybody to him. So I must be missing something. The reason I'm kind of focusing on this one is because the talents, I feel like I can kind of understand. And this one was quite difficult for me. So I thought, let me challenge myself um, and kind of go a little bit deeper with that. So my understanding of the traditional bridal party in this context is that um, when a couple are betrothed to one another, uh, the groom would set up the new home 
whether that's part of the, the groom's family home, some say, whether it's a, a, a new place. Um, and then that roughly takes a year. And then they will come and collect their bride and um, then process to this uh, new home or, and the banquet. Um, not sure whether that's in the same venue or not. Um, and so for the, he may or may not know all of the bridal party, but usually would. And so when he says, truly, I do not know you, what is he actually communicating? So, actually, that's saying so a lot. Um, we were at the hospital the other day, and the doctor asked uh, a few questions, one of which was, is there any um, history of thyroid problem uh, in your family? I'm like, oh, actually, yeah, there's a... Uh, I'm not sure which type it is, but you know the one where it makes your eyes kind of bulge? And uh, the doctor was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know that one. Picked up her bottle of water and started to drink from it. And you don't need to be a body language expert to know she didn't know what was going on. That was something that just wasn't in her knowledge. Didn't have to be either. Doesn't, you don't need to know absolutely everything at every stage um, to be that doctor and to be good at your job. But what was it that caused her to wear that mask? To have to show that she did know that. Like this element of expectation, maybe in her role and her job. This element of pride. I actually know, I do know my stuff. And so therefore, there maybe this element of embarrassment to be like, oh, actually, no, I don't know that. Is that going to put the patient off by being vulnerable and open there? So this idea of like potentially wearing a mask. All of the virgins, or the bridegroom, uh, the bridal party, have lamps. They all had this illusion of being prepared. I kind of imagine that as the months are going on, maybe closer to the time where you feel a little bit more expectant of what the next step is, um, they're like, are you ready? Are you ready? Have you got everything prepared? Um, as we would do now as well. You've got your suit, have you got your dress, have you got this, have you got that? And they're holding up their lamps, amongst other things. We're like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm sorted. Don't you worry. We're ready. I'm ready. And all ten could say that they were prepared. And maybe all ten thought they genuinely were. But I think some of the ones that we call foolish actually maybe knew that something wasn't quite right. They probably knew, actually, you know what, I don't actually have that oil ready. But I'm going to say that I do. I'm going to hold up my lamp anyway. Um, and say that I am ready. When it came to the actual moment where they demonstrated that they were ready, it became very obvious they were covering something up. And I think that's what really the groom took offense at. It's like, why didn't you do this earlier? Why didn't you resolve this earlier? Why weren't you honest earlier that the oil was something you didn't have? Why did you wait till now when it's actually of importance to get those things ready? Maybe you didn't care enough, or maybe there was pride or embarrassment in being, hey, I'm not ready, actually. I don't know what's going on here. One of my trainees, uh, well, part of the um, 
the course, the program that I run, we visit a company. And some of the trainees that I work with have never been in a professional environment, no clue, don't have suits. Um, and it's a really eye-opening experience for many of them. And there's one individual who had a suit, borrowed a suit, and uh, came along. And we're in the, the room before we headed off. And I was like, well, he's, he's, he's looking good. He looks good in a suit. It's like shirt, tie. Uh, look down at his feet, socks and sliders. <laughs> I thought, what are you doing, socks and sliders? Come on. Like, you're going to embarrass me. I'm taking you to this company near the Shard. Uh, what's going on? And um, he played it off as kind of a cool guy. And uh, the reality was, for him, actually, no, I'm jumping ahead of my notes there. We'll come back to reality in a moment. Um, but what was the reasons for, for his illusion? So we kind of got the doctor's illusion there. What was his? Was it genuine laziness? Was it carelessness? Maybe the shoes were elsewhere. Was it embarrassment? Was it pride? Some, some people kind of speaking from the front uh, will ask many questions and then ask you to finish their... Yeah, thank you. And uh, they might say something about, uh, in Matthew... 25, yeah, exactly. So already we've got some people getting that wrong. And, um, and that's the thing. Is like I, those kind of questions come to me, and already I'm like, I feel like I need to hold up my lamp to prove that I know something. I feel like there's an expectation here that I need to know this. And actually, if I don't, there might be some element of judgment going on. I don't feel happy to be vulnerable in that moment. I don't... And then you kind of go through these questions as I was kind of like writing these notes I just started this whole um, wave like, I don't understand that passage maybe or I've never understood why Jesus had to die why is God seen as violent why does he tell a parable where people are shut out I thought he was love how does he know the number of hairs on my head but then would say I don't know you and shut the door and I don't think this parable is as simple as be prepared or get lost because what does preparedness even look like And as I said earlier, I, I believe that the reason the groom is offended is because the wedding party were not able to be authentic. They pretended they knew what was going on. They pretended it was under control. Uh, my trainee had socks and sliders because he didn't have smart shoes. But he felt embarrassed to ask for smart shoes. We can make referrals to a charity that gives out smartware. Uh, people going to interviews so that they can feel and, and know that they've got those marginal gains to step into an interview professionally. But accepting that charity can sometimes be seen as a bit humiliating. Right? Throughout the Bible, we see um, that the ones who should know are more harshly criticised the Pharisees in the temple. And those that maybe don't know as much are the ones that are showing grace a bit more quickly. And why? Because they show arrogance and hypocrisy. They have the illusion of preparedness in well-polished lamp, but lack the authenticity in being open and honest when their oil has run dry. When you look at me, you might well see a mature, 
already. <laughs> Sensible, adult, wearing chinos, got a collar on my shirt. But yet, on Thursday, I ran out of toilet paper. I haven't said anything already, you guys are making up the next line. Um, and it wasn't the first time. That's happened, that's happened before. And I haven't... <laughs> oh dear, where am I going? TMI, sorry. Sorry at the back. Um, but I can kind of have this illusion of making it as an adult, right? Uh, yet the freedom comes in being honest. Hey, we're all smiling. We're all together. I imagine I'm not the only one who's had that problem. And I'm <laughs> so you're getting some nods. Um, and I also imagine that there's other things out there that maybe you'd be slightly embarrassed. Be like, oh man, I should be an adult. Yeah, I'm making these silly mistakes. Or this isn't quite. Oh, there's a few looks around. Yeah, okay. And I think that actually the church should be a place where we can be honest and open to keep each other's oil levels high so that actually when we're holding up our lamps, we've got something inside that's able to burn away as well. We shouldn't fear passages like this that make us act either in flight, fight or freeze. And we shouldn't be a group of people that perpetuate that thought either. God is loving, and he wants to reconcile all back to him. So let us drop the masks and be open and honest, so that we can all be excited about being prepared. That we bear all when you arrive for the party. The groom sees past the lamp and says, I know you. You have been authentic. You have been desiring me. You have been seeking me. I don't care about how dusty the lamp is or how well polished that lamp is. I know you. The, uh, the parable of the talents follows this. And often we will read that being like, okay, well, God's given us all different giftings, all different skills. And actually, if you don't use them and you bury them, then weep in a national teeth. But I think we can read that with real fear then that actually pushes you into burying things because you don't want to take that risk when it's read that way. I think the disappointment um, that the master has in the one that buried the treasure is because he misunderstood the generosity of the master. It's not a case of having to be up at the front in an extroverted world to show that you are working for God. But it's about fully appreciating and recognising his character of generosity. I think that was what the misunderstanding was. That's the disappointment. Hey, I gave this to you and I went on a journey. Not many masters would do that to the servants. Take it. Do things with it, yes. But know that I'm a good master.
And after that is the parable of the sheep and goats. The sheep serve God by clothing the poor where the goats walked on by. And the sheep are are rewarded and the goats are punished. And this is where we have eternal fire. We have weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal fire, quite ferocious language. And in that parable, people have read it as sometimes being saved by works. And when you have a family and you're struggling to pay bills, you might feel a bit scared as to how you can actually do these works when you've got all these other things going on. And again, we then act out of fear. We run to the car. But I think it's an encouragement that God is everywhere. That he's seen in all of these people. And I feel like when I understand that God is everywhere, that he is in, present in this room, when I see people struggling on the streets, that God is present. And then that disperses my fear like nothing else. And I can engage with that in a new way. So, my conclusion, look at that for timing, um, is that we can read these difficult passages with a sense of fear that causes us to flee, to fight, or to freeze. But the reality is our God is a loving God. And these parables are much bigger than trying to force us into some kind of action. But it's the reality of knowing who our God is and from that freedom displaying it to the world. Let's pray and then Dion will lead us in the song of worship. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God. Thank you that you're a generous God. Thank you that you've uh, laid on a feast and you've called us to join. Lord, thank you that you can help us to be ready and help us to help each other to be ready. Lord, thank you that you uh, don't want us to cower in fear and bury the gifts that you've given us, but you want us to get hold of your heart of love and generosity and use the gifts you've given us and play our part in your kingdom. So Lord, say, let us not be fearful. We say, let us not be fearful today, but let us be faithful. Thank you that you said good and faithful servants. And Lord, we want to be found faithful by your grace and your love and your mercy. Thank you, Lord. Amen.